This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. On the show, you'll hear from leading Australian business owners as they share the lessons they've learned building their companies. You'll learn from their successes, as well as some of the challenges they faced along the way. We also talk to experts from a range of fields who share specialised techniques you can use to improve your business. I'm your host, Savan Tuna, and I'm a director at Alexander Spencer, and I'm really passionate about helping Australian businesses succeed. Today, we're speaking with Janahan Kumaralingam, a partner of Vostro Private Wealth, a financial advisory firm here in Melbourne. Jana loves to help individuals build their wealth and secure their future. In the episode, you'll hear all about the various types of risk insurance policies available to you and just how important risk insurance is to business owners. We discuss life cover, TPD, income protection and trauma. You'll gain insight into what each of these policies protect, how much cover you should insure and if these policies apply to you and your family. Let's jump in. Thank you, Jana, for joining me on the show today. Yeah, my pleasure. No, thanks for having me. We've known each other for a long, long time. You did marry my sister, so we'll just throw that out there nice and early. <laughs> but you are an expert. You have your own business. So tell us about your journey. You're a partner of Vostro Private Wealth, a financial advisory firm. Tell us your story. Yeah, I work at Vostro Private Wealth. We've been around for about 13 years, just based out in Alba Park. So we're a holistic wealth management firm. We deal with SME clients and we'll, we handle their personal affairs. And what kind of services do you provide? What does holistic mean in terms of financial advisory? It can be pretty broad, but essentially it's insurance, superannuation, estate planning, investments, all those things. And the most important thing is it's just strategy, making sure clients have the right strategy for what they want to achieve. In terms of your history and in getting into financial advisory and your involvement with Velstrode, tell us a little bit more about that. I did an accounting degree. Worked out pretty quickly. Probably didn't want to be an accountant. I uh, thought, what else could I do? Superannuation really interested me. So I went down that path and that led me to financial planning. So nearly 20 years in the journey. CFP, did all that. So it's been an interesting time in that financial planning space. Been a bit tough, but also rewarding. So here we are doing holistic advice. The area that I want to touch on today is the insurance side of it. You look after the personal side of SME clients. And like you said, we look after the business side of things. But I think the biggest crossover from a financial planning point of view for all businesses is managing their risks. And we had an episode not long ago about general insurance and managing business risk. But today I want to really dive into some of the stuff regarding personal risk management, such as life insurance and income protection and all that type of stuff. And you mentioned you do that work and that's something, an area that you provide advice on. So that's the area you want to touch on today and give back to the SME community to understand that risk management isn't just about general insurance and insurance relating to their business and give them some tips around risk insurance and how to manage their personal risk. So when we talk about risk insurance, what does that cover and what does it mean? Let me take a step back there. So when we look at clients, we're talking about holistic strategy. Wealth protection is really the foundation. So if you kind of don't get that right, all the other strategies you put in place, it magnifies the risk. With every client, we have a look at that and that's where insurance forms part of. So that's really ground zero for when we work with our SME clients. 
whatever we're trying to achieve, that we protect what you've got before we try and build off it. So that's where we like to start. The process is a bit longer, but that's essentially the starting point of what do you want to protect? Have you got it protected? And if not, what are the steps in doing that? How do we protect ourselves? What are the policies that risk insurance covers? And can we talk a little bit about each one in detail? Essentially, it really comes back to you. Like, what do you want covered? We always ask that question, what keeps you up at night? So it might be a big mortgage. You might be the sole income earner. Want to put your kids through private schooling. And then you look back, okay, well, if you weren't here tomorrow, would you be able to do that? Or if you were sick or unable to work or run your business, can you do that? So they're the questions that we want to ask our clients. That What is it that you want to achieve? Then we ask them, well, if life doesn't go as planned, have you got the mechanism? So obviously life not going as planned is if you drop dead tomorrow. That's, <laughs> Definitely that's don't want to do that. One. But the other ones are like if you got sick, people don't think about it, cancers, heart attack, all those things. If you're out of work, well, do you have those mechanisms? Do you have the money to keep your lifestyle going and achieve those important things? Let's talk about life insurance. We don't plan to cross the road and get hit by a truck. <laughs> obviously it's an important part of yeah. managing risk. And if you weren't around, what will that look like for your family? So first and foremost, how do you know how much to take out for life insurance? Is there a scientific calculation that your advisors go through? So how do you do that? There's not. So really, I think the most scientific way is just asking the spouse. If you're talking to the wife, if your husband's not here tomorrow, what is it that you want protected? And nine times out of 10, they'll say the mortgage and they'll say, well, I want to make sure my kids can go to private schooling or whatever it might be. So there's no science, but it's really around asking the person that's left behind, what is it that's important? What do you want protected? And then working backward to say, okay, do you have the means? And if not, look at insurance as that protection mechanism. And in terms of when you go through the insurance, is that a very basic policy? So it's you're alive, you're dead, it yeah. pays, it doesn't pay. It's pretty basic. Yeah, there's so not a lot of T's and C's. There's not it. many grey areas no, in life okay. insurance. And you'd be surprised. It's probably the cheapest insurance that you can take out. Probably cheaper than your car insurance. In talking about the premium, how do they work that out? How does that actually yeah. get calculated by the underwriters? Smarter people than us work this out. So obviously it's all over, worked out through actuaries. But then your personal position, if you're working at open heights, then that's a bit more expensive than if you're a person working behind a desk, your age, your health. So it takes into a lot of factors when they calculate your premium. Our job is to make sure we find the right insurer at the right premium. And do the the premiums vary between underwriters for the same person with the same risks? Yeah, look, to be honest, it's no different to general insurance. So if your insurer's got a lot of claims on their book, everyone feels that pain, your premiums will go up compared to another insurer who may not. So you as a broker provide and navigate through that process. That's awesome. So one of the things that a lot of clients generally have in life insurance is they have it through their superannuation. Obviously that answers the question of you can structure this in super, but are there pros and cons in doing this? And how do you navigate through that process of structuring the policy in the right place? Most Australians would have life insurance through their superannuation because a lot of the time it's offered to you as default cover. So that's a big part of that life insurance space. So when you come back to structuring, essentially insurance is there when you need it, you want it to be paid. So first and foremost, you want to make sure it's structured in a manner that if something were to happen, they would pay. So life insurance is a bit easier in that aspect. 
a lot of people structure life insurance through super because the premium is tax deductible within superannuation. So that's that initial, well, if I can still claim it and it's tax deductible in super and it's going to make it cheaper, I'll structure it through then. There are occasions where you don't want to structure it through super, but you just got to work through that. We've covered off on life insurance. So we'll go through all the other ones in a sec. So life insurance, just to summarize, is pretty much protecting for the time that you pass away. And does your spouse get a lump sum payment? How long does that take? What's the claims process when you go through life insurance? Yeah, the claim process is pretty straightforward. It's normally a death certificate. And then if it's through super, it has to go paid out through super. So the superannuation trustee will say who's the beneficiary and it would form part of that. If it's outside of super, it's your estate, whoever you nominate for your estate. Pretty straightforward payout as well. The next one I wanted to cover on was was income protection. You talked about, obviously, there's protecting that if you're not here, and then there's obviously protecting when you're here, but can't work. Can you talk to us about what is income protection? How does it work? And just give us an overview of what that product is. If I asked you today, what's your biggest asset? What would you say? Definitely the ability to be able to work and earn an income, 100%. And there it is. That's your biggest asset, right? If you're in your early 40s and you're going to work till 60, 65, just multiply your income out. So by far, it's very important policy to have. So normally income protection these days will pay you till age 65. There's been a few changes in this area and it's all been legislated just because those claims have been really high. They'll pay about 70% of your income if you're on a long-term claim. And in terms of the insured amount, I'm earning $100,000, is that what yeah. gets covered? But if I want to, for whatever reason, yeah. take out a million dollars of cover, do I have a choice in how that works? How is the yeah, so insured the, amount get yeah. determined? These days, the insurer will only pay up to 70% of your total income or your employment income. So if I'm earning hundred grand, they will only cover you for seventy grand, And it's very obvious why insurance companies do that. They paid you your full wage. You're probably not going to go back to work. That's essentially why they'll pay you 70%. So now in Australia, you can only get what they call an indemnity policy. So essentially what indemnity policy means is that you've got to prove your income at point of claim. You might take out a $400,000 IP policy of salary, but if you're earning $100,000, they're not going to pay you three hundred or two eighty. They're going to pay you seventy grand. So up to the life insurer to make sure that they're covered for the right level. That's good advice because you'd be over, you'd be paying way higher premiums and not knowing that you're not going to get that if you go to claim if it's come down. Just on that, before you kind of move on, one of the big things is that there's been a heap of change with income protection over the last two years. So you might have had policies that you've put in place three or four years ago and they might be what they call an agreed value policy or financially endorsed agreed. So that essentially means the insurers looked at your financials and said, yep, we'll pay you that. doesn't matter what you're earning at the time. So if you've got one of those policies, you always want to make sure that you lock it in or you keep it because you can no longer get an agreed value policy well these days. So because you have to determine your income and you should mm. obviously ensure what you're making, how do you navigate through the business clients? And, you know, they'll have trusts, companies, companies retain profits and business owners might not even take a wage and get through dividends or distributions. How does the insurer or you determine their income? And because it fluctuates, how do you work all that out? 
What we do is, so from a tax agent point of view, you're probably looking to tax effectively, you know, spread that income across. We kind of work differently. We're trying to put it all back together and show this is what they're actually making, even though for tax purposes, you're kind of distributing out or spreading it out. We also want to look at a three-year average. So we'll try and get three years worth of financials, put it back together and say, okay, that's what the average is for the last three years. So that gives us a fair indication that that's a consistent income that there's not one year anomaly that we're over-insuring for or under-insuring for. Does it work in reverse for claims as well? So if I'm a business owner, I make a claim and for whatever reason, it ended up being in the worst year possible, middle of COVID and I own a restaurant and I have, I don't know, can't work anymore and I have to make an income protection claim. Do they then go, oh, sorry, buddy, you don't earn a lot of money at the moment, so you're not covered for that income? How does they determine fluctuations? Yeah, good policy. You know, they'll take more than just one year. If it's a long-term trend that you've insured for right up there and for the last five years you're right down here, well, that's a harder thing to prove. But yeah, one-off years, insurance will take more than one year to kind of substantiate your actual income. You mentioned life insurance is deductible in super. How does deductibility work with income protection? So income protection is deductible either in super or your personal name. So in both structures, they're deductible. On the flip side is income protection is accessible. So even though they pay 70%, you're still going to pay tax on that 70 And is are the premiums calculated similar to life? So based on your health, da 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 all that kind of stuff that you mentioned previously? Yeah, that basic level is that health, occupation, age, all those things. But income protection probably does have a sharper spike as you get older. In terms of the premiums you yeah, pay? Yeah, it depends how you structure it as well because we're getting a bit more complex. But if you structure it where it's cost-effective early years, you'll find it might be a bit of a spike in later years. And that's just the fact is that you're more likely to claim in your 40s and 50s than you are in your 20s and 30s. Can we touch on some of the things that people do badly in their lifestyle that actually has a significant impact on premium because I've filled out these forms and I'll ask you so many questions on things like you know how many glasses of wine yep. you drink and do you smoke or do you climb cliffs on the weekend and, yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff so you see policies all the time so someone that smokes and drinks a lot how much more do they pay versus someone that probably has very little alcohol and doesn't smoke is it double smoke. It's not double, it's probably 40 plus percent. Smoking's like you see it all the time. Like, are you a smoker? Nah. And then they speak to the underwriter, yeah, I smoke. And then all of a sudden, what you've like put together does not make sense because they're a smoker. When we go to underwriting, and we can probably discuss it later in down the um, chat, but just be honest, like, disclose what your position is. It's much easier to work backwards than not disclose. And then, should you ever claim, it gets knocked on the head. Great advice. What about being overweight? I mean, that's a bit contentious. Not contentious, but obviously a lot of media around belly, especially with males, having a big gut makes a big impact on your health. Again, all those things, how much of an impact was it high? BMI is always an issue, like if BMI is higher. And insurance companies are probably a bit more generous on BMI. But essentially what insurance companies look at is even if something's mild or small, They look at what it could lead to because essentially insurers are insuring you potentially for 20, 30 years. So the biggest one we see is the back. Gone to the car because you've got a sore back and you've been prescribed something for it or they've asked you to take an x-ray but you've never taken that x-ray because you think it's not bad enough. No one's insuring those knees. 
So the insurer will say, hang on, that's not resolved. Like, that's still an open case. We're not going to take the risk. So we're going to put a back exclusion for that because it's an unresolved issue. Does that mean that if you lose weight, you've solved that issue with your back, you've had the x-ray, is it an open dialogue with yourself and then the underwriter saying, okay, you've excluded back, the guy's taking his x-rays, he's got a clean slate, can you now bring the back back in? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we'll always say you're better to have insurances if that's the best option and there's a loading or an exclusion, take the policy because you can always get the insurer to review that exclusion or loading. And as the premiums go up, let's say I've got an income protection policy and all of a sudden I've made a claim, it's for two years, I'm back at work and I've continued the policy, does my premium now all of a sudden skyrocket or is it based on my original application? Yeah, it shouldn't skyrocket because you made a claim. Sometimes certain insurance, like if you've claimed on a trauma policy, you don't have a reinstatement, you can't get that trauma back. Or if you've got a reinstatement feature in your policy, but you've claimed on heart attack, they're not going to pay you for another heart attack. But so multiple heart attacks. Yeah, if you're, once, okay. <laughs> if you're having three or four, yeah, they only pay on the first one. Okay, fair enough. If you're making it through the second one, yeah, I think you just can't, you just can't, you're lucky that you, yeah. you made it anyway. Yeah, correct. That's great advice. So I want to touch on now, obviously, trauma. Life insurance, you're dead. Trauma is you've made it. You got hit by that yeah, truck yeah. and for whatever reason, it didn't kill you. What does trauma mean? Tell us about that. My personal view is I think trauma is probably the best policy out of all four because it pays you on diagnosis. If I've been injured, serious injury, or I've gotten serious illness and your policy covers it, within a week or two, they'll pay you the lump sum tax-free. So it's the first one to pay. I always think when you're fit and healthy, get as much trauma as you think you need and lock it in because you get the policy when you're healthy and young so when you're in your 40s, late 40s and 50s, and you most likely will claim on something like a trauma, you've got a good policy that's going to cover you for everything, structured right, it'll be premiums would be competitive, and that you'll hold it for a longer period. Tell me about trauma. So what yeah. does it cover? How does it work? It's a diagnosis of a serious illness. So heart attack, stroke, cancer. There's probably about 47, 50 illnesses that'll pay you a lump sum on. If I got diagnosed with cancer today and it was serious enough, my trauma policy would pay me out. And it'll also pay you on injury and illness. So if you've had a serious car accident, you're in a coma, your trauma policy would pay you out the lump sum. It's not income assessed, so you can have as little as $50,000 worth of trauma or a couple of mil. So you can choose how much you want. Every advisor has a different formula and how much a client should take out. But essentially, you know, we think it's worth taking out some. Can I ask a question on the 47 item? So let's say you got your arm amputated, right? And that's a pretty traumatic event. And I've got to say a quarter of a million trauma policy. Do they say, oh, look, you've got another arm. We'll only pay you out on the an arm, 100 grand, or you've lost your finger, it's 10 grand. Or you take out quarter of a mil, there's yeah. 47 items, and all 47 pay quarter of a mil. Yeah. Or is there a diluted amount or different versions of trauma? So you've gone with a really extreme. If it's in your policy of losing a limb, yeah, it would pay out. But let me give you an example of a different policy. So a heart attack's the main one. So we've had clients where they've had severe chest pain, probably thought it was indigestion, went to the hospital, you've had a heart attack, right? The trauma policy pays you out because it meets the definition of a heart attack. We've got a quarter of a million dollars worth of cover. It'll just pay you. There it is. There's your money. Even if you had no idea you had one. And you went back to work the next week. 
right? Wow. But then there's also other features where, you know, melanoma is a big one. So if the melanoma is caught early or at an earlier stage, you're probably not entitled to the full payment, but maybe a partial payment. So that's where the partial comes yeah, in with that's certain where the partial, ones. Yeah, with the main ones. If you had the illness and it's in the definition, lump sum, no questions asked. And trauma is tax-free? Tax-free, but the premium is not tax-deductible. And I'm assuming that sounds like the first to pay probably the most expensive. Is it the most expensive of all the covers yeah, you can take? it is. So it depends when you take it out, how healthy you are. They're the factors that determine it. So if we get a young client who's in their 30s, early 40s, we'll say, look, your likelihood of claiming trauma now is low, but take it out because when you get to 47, 50, and that's when we talk about that spike, that's when it'll be expensive. And that's when you're probably going to claim, but you'll probably cancel it because you're like, well, it's too expensive, but if you'd taken it out early and locked in that premium, you'll kind of... Well, that's great advice for our younger listeners to look at this stuff a lot younger. And it's funny because talking to friends, family and clients that are sort of in that younger age profile, it's probably the last thing they think about. I find that most of them really start to think about this stuff when they have kids. But because people are having kids so much later in life now, you're finding that even the thought process of insurance around protecting these things is later in life. So us as advisors need to get in front of our clients and make this aware. So hopefully they're listening to this episode and really taking down some notes if they haven't taken out cover. You mentioned superannuation has default policy of life insurance. I want to talk about just those policies. There's a lot of those larger superannuation companies. Are they the right places for people to go and just take that default policy and adjust it up or down and add things to that? Or is that like just the reject shop of insurance policies and they should just see a broker? We always talk about, will the insurer pay? Like, you always say, oh, they never pay. So it's like anything in life. If the insurance company hasn't spoken to you, asked you those important questions, you know, what's your weight? Are you a smoker? All those things that an insurance company should ask you, like even when you get your car insurance, right? They'll ask you, oh, do you park it in a garage or on the street? Like if your insurance company hasn't asked you about your personal health or your affairs, so the quality of the product you're getting will be much less than an underwritten policy where the insurers, you know, asked those 47 awkward questions, probably looked at your medicals and looked at your financials. They're very different products. So once you've gone through that underwriting process, you should have a watertight policy compared to those default policies, which is group life, which they're kind of sitting there going, we'll have enough people that age group that we know some will claim, some won't. But if you claim and you're not in that, if you haven't been honest or you haven't disclosed enough, then that's, that's how they risk. work it out. So yeah. they just they go, okay, well, we've got enough 50-year-olds or 40-year-olds and there's 3,000 of them. Yeah. Well, another one's not going to make a big difference. So we'll give them a default policy. Okay, that's very so – I didn't know how they did that. Life. Okay. That's group life. So. And that's what you get in your super. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about the claims process. So I'm a client of yours. I make a claim. I'm not making a claim, but if something's happened. Yeah. I ring you about a claim. You guys handle that from end yeah. to our, into, from yep. intent? Our philosophy within the business is if we've written that policy for you, we'll handle the claim. So we will be the conduit between the insurer and yourself. So you would focus on getting better and we will manage that process with the insurance claims officer. And how much does your services cost the client in just the risk component of it? So insurance still pays the commission. The insurer will pay the advisor commission for writing the policy. We can rebate it back to the client depending on what service the client has with us. 
it's like any other service. So if putting in an insurance plan, we charge a plan fee and that's just for the hours taken to prepare all that. And then once the policy is in place, the insurer can pay us a commission. Again, insurance isn't the only thing we do in our business. So we take the lower commission for the work. Let's talk about business clients a little bit more. So obviously in a larger organization and you might have 15, 20 staff and there might be some key people in the staff. Can a director of a company take a policy outside of his stuff is going on in his personal affairs, not only for himself, but key people in his business? Can you do that? And how does that work from a business standpoint, just alone, separately than just personal insurance on your own with your spouse that you talk about? Businesses can insure key staff. Just because you're a business owner doesn't make you a key person. Correct. That's so, true. People so. tell me that all the time. Yeah, it's, all, it's all good. So if you've got, for example, you run a dentistry practice, you've got three dentists working for you. So those dentists might be key staff because, you know, they see X amount of clients bringing X amount of revenue. So the cost of replacing that dentist might be, say, a couple of hundred or just the revenue lost from not having that dentist working in the practice. You're able to insure that for a period of time. So would that be that that insurance process is the business pays for it, it's either deductible or not deductible based on the policy. Yep. Does the business become the beneficial owner of that cover in essence? Yeah, correct. So okay. it comes back to the business for them to recoup the cost of losing that staff member or that key person. And is that the fact that it's, you know, that word key man policy or key person policy, is that just in life insurance or a trauma policy or is it a separate product that sits to the side? It's part of that life TPD trauma. Okay. So you can cover it for all three. And we will dive not too deep into this topic, but obviously when you've got business partners, that would be obviously another area for key person. Do you guys get involved in looking at businesses where there's multiple partners and structure things such as one partner dies, there's obviously the value of his assets and that buy-sell type of scenario. Can you talk us a little bit about that scenario where you've got multiple partners in business and how does risk insurance and life insurance help multiple partners in a business? We do work in that space and we work with our lawyers that, you know, helping those clients. So I think it was in one of your earlier podcasts that you had the lawyer come in and talk about buy-sell agreements. So once the agreement's struck and there's a few pass away, I'm entitled to buy your 20% share in your business. That 20% is worth something. So if that 20% is worth $2 million, well, as a surviving partner, do you have $2 million sitting there to buy it? Maybe yeah, not, right? Yeah, correct. So that's where life insurance comes into play in that key, like the buy-sell agreement. So the exiting partner could have a policy that should they pass away, that their estate would receive the death benefit for the value of the share of the business and the surviving partner would receive that equity. Love that. It's obviously an area we can talk a lot about, but we might have to cover you yeah, and get you, on, yeah. get you on for another session about the buy-sells and yep. how that works. But in terms of common mistakes that people make and business owners make, what are some of the things that you see a lot in the industry that you've talked to that people just come in here, just shake your head going, what the hell have you done here? Yeah, so <laughs> we see that all the time. So like business owners, they're probably the most busiest people that you'll ever see. So a lot of things get missed just because there's only a certain amount of time in the day, much more important stuff. So they have policies that put in place five years ago. They've never looked at it. It just keeps getting direct debited. 
A, it doesn't meet their needs at the moment, and B, they're paying through the nose for the premium. So how we like to get on the front foot with that is actually at least on an annual basis saying, hey, this is what the premium looks like. This is the cover. Does it meet your needs? And prompt them to say, yeah, it does. And if it doesn't, okay, how can we fix it? And sometimes they come back to me and go, this premium is way too high. What else can we do? Then we kind of come back. So it's really about not letting them forget about what they've put in place and coming back and just saying, okay, let's have a look at it to make sure it's right. You talked previously about a policy that you might have had five years ago that's really good because they've changed the law. Let's say that policy is starting to get expensive because you've got a really large cover. If you went back and said, look, I've got $3 million life insurance, can you reduce it to one and a half? Does that mean it has to be a new policy or can they keep the T's and C's of that old but just bring the dollars up and down on what they're covered? Yeah, absolutely you can. You can dial back a policy. It's only if you go back the other way that you might need to go through future underwriting. So if you're stripping back cover or stripping back features, absolutely you can do that. If you've got a really good policy, they're probably the things that you want to do before looking to swap and change. And if it goes really, really high, obviously then would they just automatically give you that or would there be situations where they'll want you to do medicals and whatnot? Yeah, again, depends on each insurer's threshold. So that, you know, if it's gone up by 100, there might be a small form for asking. But if you're looking to double or a third, then yeah, they're going to go, okay, we need to know a lot more. Why are you doing that? What's changed? But the good thing about that is even if you go up, that say your health has changed, a lot of the time what you've got initially, if there's a loading exclusion, it won't be to the whole cover. It might just be added to what you've increased it by. An area that's sort of a bit of a hot topic at the moment is mental health and people have to focus on mental health a lot and there's a lot of media coverage on mental health and issues around that, especially with COVID. Is mental health part of all of this? So if, if, if I've got an income protection cover, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just can't go to work and it's playing with my mind. How does mental health and insurance and claims how does that all work how does that all piece together yeah mental health is absolutely part of all this so a lot of the times you might see a client who might be going through a stressful period or going through those issues and they don't reach out to the advisor or the insurance company say hey look this is what i'm going through if you do that well now the policy is in force we'll go back to the insurance say this is what's going on so if they did have a claim down the track, that the process is already there to be covered for. So mental health is part of sort Absolutely. of the, yeah, the, yeah, the conditions that people yep. can go through and make yep. a claim on. How do they validate that? Is it through psychologists and medical professionals? Yeah, absolutely. So it's no different to any other illness. So if you've been diagnosed, you've got a doctor or your psychologist saying this is a condition, this is why they can't continue to work at the capacity they're working at, the insurer should have to accept that and... What happens, you've got a policy, you've had this heart attack that you didn't know about or you knew about it and you're like, you know, I'm just going to work tomorrow, it's all fine. A year later, you find out that, geez, you could have made a trauma claim. How far back can you go and say, hey, Mr. Insurance guy, can you give me some (laughs) money because I forgot to claim? Yeah, you can go back. We've had cases where clients had an issue and they didn't think anything of or they didn't think they could claim. And, yeah, the insurer will absolutely look at that. If it's a good policy, they will absolutely long as you have medical evidence supporting your claim. And are there a lot of good insurance underwriters at the moment in the market? Is there plenty of them or has it really shrunk in terms of the options you have for your clients? The insurance world has shrunk and that's just because of claim rates and it's become really, I guess, insurance companies probably haven't been as profitable 
So we've seen a few big players merge in the last few years. But in saying that, the ones there now, they're all pretty big and they're very good companies. They will pay claims. If your policy is structured right, you've done the right underwriting, you'll be paid should you claim. Obviously, we touched on the client and policies and the needs of the client. Can you talk through how you actually piece it all together and actually work out what the client needs and how you actually go through that process internally? We talked earlier about what is it that you want covered. So that's your need. So it might be your mortgage, your school fees, and we work out what is the cost of that. And then we look at what assets do you have to mitigate that risk. So you might have super, you might have cash at bank, shares. And then below that, then we say, okay, how much risk is there? And then that is when we decide, okay, do we want to use insurance to mitigate that risk or do you have other means to mitigate that risk? And when we say other means, you know, I mean, people might say, I'll just sell that investment property and take out less insurance. So it's just working with the client, get a, get a better understanding of, look, there's all this insurance out there. This is what you want to achieve. What assets do you have to help you achieve that? If should something happen, if there's a shortfall, do you want to take insurance or what else do you want to do? It's a very, I wouldn't call it a scientific process, but a process that you would need to go through so the client's satisfied in understanding what they have. And if a claim needs to be made, they know that it's been very well thought through. Yeah, correct. So no one wants to pay more than what they need for insurance, right? So you just want to pay the right amount for the right level of cover. And that's where that needs analysis of information gathering process is really important in determining how much cover and what cover I need. I've had a very informative session today with you, Jenna. I learned a lot about insurance. I'm pretty sure my stuff is all intact, so I'm really happy about that. I didn't pick up anything that I needed to adjust, but I wanted to say thank you for your time today, and I'm sure our listeners will make sure they get on that exercise bike and check their policies and ensure that they're covered well. So thank you for your time. Now, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is The Bottom Line, a show designed to help Australian businesses succeed. This podcast was produced by accountancy firm Alexander Spencer. At Alexander Spencer, we've been helping business owners realise their goals since 1952, and we play a pivotal role in developing, implementing, and supervising the business goals and strategies of our clients. To find out how we can help your business succeed, head to our website, alexanderspencer.com.au. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Bottom Line, Be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Savan Tuna, and we'll be back next episode with more tips to help you transform your business. And that's The Bottom Line.